Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon for Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. We need that reminder that the world is in His hands because our thoughts do have incredible power. Be careful how you think. Not what you think of, but how you think. Because your life is shaped by your thoughts. The news you listen to, the shows you watch, the social media that you consume, the people that you talk to, the people you listen to, these are the things that we get stuck on, on an ongoing loop that just keeps playing over and over in our head, making us crazy, keeping us awake at night, distracting us, and shaping our attitudes and our actions that become our life. Now, what thoughts become your life? What thoughts become your mental quicksand? That emotional quicksand that just sucks you down? Well, here are some options, okay? About four different buckets for you. One of them can be a relationship cynicism. You know, that, that generally bad attitude that says you can't trust anybody, right? Nobody's honest. Everybody sucks. People stink. People are the enemy. And P.S., that kind of cynical outlook on life frequently reflects the voice in our head directing our life. But that's relational cynicism. A, a, a negative filtering looks for the worst in people, generally because of the cynicism that we keep telling ourselves about. It looks for the worst in people, looks for the worst in circumstances. A lot of times it's based on false assumptions and accusations that are made. The one word description of this is just pessimism. You always expect and usually experience the worst. It's the Eeyore mentality from Winnie the Pooh. It'll never work. Yeah, that becomes the filter. The other one is the absolute thinking quicksand, that polarization of generalizations that everything to you is either black or white, and there's nothing in the middle. If, some, if a man hurt you, then all men are scum and should never be trusted. If a woman lied to you, they're all liars, and they're dead to me. Absolute black and white accusations. The fourth one is that victim mentality that everything is always somebody else's fault. You're always the hero. <laughs> Not really the hero. You're always the victim in your own story. It's never result of the choices you've made or the consequences of your own actions. It's always somebody else that did you dirty. So relational cynicism, negative filtering, absolute thinking, victimhood, if, if you've got trust issues because you always expect the worst and you jump to conclusions and make assumptions and then you're always the victim in your own life, then your life is being shaped by those negative thoughts and you're being sucked down into the quicksand that takes you further and further from faith. The world 
is still in his hands. In spite of us and our quicksand for brains, God is at work to replace our worry with strength. Strength to live this life. That's why we need the reminder the world is in his hands. By the way, we made up additional cards that are available here uh, on the table where the communion trays are. We've got plenty if you want some. Uh, we ran out last week, but you need that reminder that God gives us strength because the world is still in his hands and sometimes we need that strength to deal with people. Philippians chapter 4 is where I'll continue today. Because honestly, sometimes people can become that, that mental quicksand that sucks us down and drains us dry. The Apostle Paul, he'd been through a lot. He'd handled a lot. He'd faced a lot. But there was nothing like a church fight between two ladies at church that just drove him nuts. Their names were Yodia and Syntyche. And he writes to them and calls them out to the whole church and everybody else throughout history that would read the letter to the Philippian church in this way. He says, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Help these two women. He now addresses the rest of the church. And he says, help them. They're stuck in quicksand. They worked hard with me. So he's not just throwing them out, you know, in that black and white, you're either great or you're scum. He's simply saying they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They need to remember that good news. They need to remember what they share together. They need to remember how God has used them. God, give me the strength to deal with people. Now, many of Paul's New Testament letters to the churches were written trying to fix the problems that they were wrestling with. And sometimes it just gets overwhelming when you're always trying to fix problems that other people create. Some of us are real good at that. We pride ourselves on that. Being in control. And then we realize we're not. Eventually, when you're trying to control people, you lose the will to even bother and you lose the desire to help anymore. That's why the advice was given in Hebrews 13, verse 17, for a church to obey their spiritual leaders and be willing to do what they say, for they keep watch over your souls. And he goes on to explain, they're accountable to God. So give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow, for that wouldn't be beneficial for you. Now, think about what he says in Hebrews 13 there. If somebody's responsible for your spiritual life and you make their life a living hell, how's that helping you? If every time they see your number come up on their, on their phone and they... <laughs> and you roll your eyes, and you sigh heavily, how's that helping them? It's not. 
So do yourself a favor and don't make their job miserable. Because that's not helping you then, is it? Help them help you is his point. Because honestly, God, sometimes we need strength to deal with the people in our lives. Now, knowing that the world is still in his hands is what gives us the strength not only to deal with the people in our lives, but it also gives us the strength to be joyful, sometimes in spite of the people in our lives. And that's why he says what he does in verse 4. We looked at this last week. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I'll say it again. Rejoice. The problem is our joy typically is based on the people in our life. Certain people make me happy, so I'm joyful. Circumstances make me happy, so I'm joyful. Money makes us should I have said that? Yeah. But what if people and circumstances and money are replacing the presence of God? You see, it's his spirit within us that renews us and gives us hope. And that hope is the very foundation of our joy. That's why we cry out to God, give us strength to be joyful in spite of the people and circumstances in our life sometimes that make me feel like I've lost control, that I never had to begin with. God, give us the strength to guard our influence because we remember that the world is still in your hands. Verse 5, he says it this way, let everyone see that you're considerate. Let your gentleness be evident to all, another version would say. And he reminds them, remember, the Lord's coming soon. See, that's just it. Our influence on others, the impact we make upon them, is sustained by the knowledge that the world is in his hands, not ours. And when we give up trying to control other people, when we give up trying to control everything in our life or the life of other people, just so that we're happy because we got things done our way, leaves no room for God to be in control, does it? The world is still in his hands. And when we live our lives in a way that allows him to influence us and others, then God gets the glory for that. It's like Sarah was talking about Bryson. You know, we've, we've played, we prayed a bunch of prayers in our life for our kids, and God said, yeah, not so much. I got a better plan. I still intend to talk to him about some of those, but... <laughs> nonetheless, what he knew that I don't know is how he's going to use their influence in ways that he could never use mine. That's what happens. That's what gives us, that's what gives us joy. That's what gives us strength is a recognition that God uses us to influence others. That's why we have to remember that God is the one who gives us strength to trust him instead of trusting ourselves. 
In verse 6 of Philippians 4, he says, Don't worry about anything. You remember this from last week, perhaps. Don't worry about anything. Instead, learn to pray. Learn to pray. Learn to pray because you're not real good at it consistently. Okay, I'm not real good at it consistently. Learn to pray about everything. And tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Of course, that means surrendering my consistent desire to be in control of other people and other circumstances, no matter what. But when I do that, I remember that God still has the world in his hands. And if I believe that, that the world is still in his hands, then God will give me the strength that I need from his peace in knowing that. Verse 7, he says, then you'll experience God's peace. Now, I need to stop arguing with God for my peace. That, that, that's not even on the table anymore, right? We'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand or comprehend. It's his peace, he says, that will guard your hearts and minds. Don't miss this last part. As we live in Christ Jesus. There's no peace in just knowing about God. There's no peace or strength found in our knowledge. Our peace, our true strength is found in living like we believe that the world is still in his hands. You see, knowledge, as we're told in Scripture, just puffs up. It's another way of saying, if we're just full of knowledge, we're, okay, we're full of arrogance. How's that? We're full of ourselves. And being full of ourselves does not bring us a place of peace or strength. But we get overwhelmed, right? Because we can't handle everything. And so we cry out, God, give me the strength. And that strength is found in faith that the world is still in his hands. Not mine, his. Not Washington's, thank you, Jesus, his. Remember Proverbs 4.23? Be careful how you think because your life is shaped by your thoughts. That's why there's so much said in Scripture about guarding our thought process. Proverbs 23, verse 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In Romans 8, verse 6, the mind that's set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. So what's in your head? What are you allowing yourself to dwell on? What's the story that you're constantly rerunning in your, in your head? That's why... Paul said, what's, that's why what Paul says next is so crucial. Thankfully, God gives us the strength to focus our thoughts. In verse 8 of Philippians 4, 
He starts to wrap it up. He says, listen, I don't know what else to tell you, okay? So, so finally, hear this. And he runs through this laundry list of things to, to, to set on continual loop. Whatever's true, not the accusations, not the assumptions, not the lies that others say or the rumors that are spread, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, not the, not the plans how to get even, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, you know, the things that are fair instead of, instead of blaming God for how he let you down and how you're a victim again. Whatever's pure, not polluted, not clouded judgment, but whatever is clean, whatever is lovely. He's not talking about the cover girl people, the GQ covers. He's talking about the things that lead to brotherly love, like kindness and forgiveness and gentleness grace whatever's gonna lead you to loving someone instead of just stirring things up with animosity again whatever's of good repute good report you know it's it's your reputation right but more than that it's your identity it's who you are he says if there's any excellence not perfection anything excellent if anything is praiseworthy look for the best instead of nitpicking about the worst pump the brakes on your in your relationship with others by reminding yourself what to dwell on and he says these are the things to allow your mind to dwell on it's not just the random things. It's not just the, he's not talking shower thoughts here, okay, where you're in the shower and you have these, you know, random synapses fire and you think somebody's name that you were trying to think of three days ago and, oh, yeah, it's them. No, he's not talking about the random synopsis or synapses firing of, the, of, of stuff that makes you think of things. No, he's talking about you allowing yourself to settle. To build, to reside and dwell here. Now I can tell you this, it's easier to dwell on those things, like whatever's true and honorable and just and pure and lovely, and of, of the good in people, it, it, the excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, it's easier to dwell on that if we're convinced the world is still on his, in his hands, so it's okay. That's how God gives us strength to practice our faith. Not just to talk about our faith, but to practice it. He says in verse 9, keep putting, keep putting into practice all that you've learned and received from me. 
Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. And look at what happens when we do that. Then, then, the God of peace will be with you. There's a really annoying thing about life and anatomy. We only get stronger when we practice, not when we just wish. We can only suck in our gut so long, right? You have to put it into practice to make a difference. And that's exactly what he says. Let your mind dwell on these things and keep on putting it into practice. You practice the things that you're not perfect at, right? God, give me strength to be content while I practice. He says in verse 11, I've learned to be content with whatever I have. Paul was convinced that no matter what was going on in his life, good or bad, up or down, rich or poor, didn't matter. Whatever was going on in his life, he was convinced in what God had told him, my grace is sufficient for you. Why was he content when life went sideways? He was convinced the world was still in God's hands. And because of that, he knew that God could give him exactly what he needed when he needed it. He was convinced that God would provide his daily bread, just like he had provided the manna and the quail and the water for the Israelites when they were going through the wilderness. He was convinced that God would provide enough from five loaves and two fish for 5,000 plus with leftovers. He was convinced that God could do more than he could ask or think. And because he knew the world was in his hands, God gave him strength to be content with where he was right now. now. I don't say that because I'm already there. I say that because that's the North Star, okay? That's, that's true north on the compass. That's where you pick yourself up, dust yourself off, look around. Whew, okay, where am I? Oh, yeah, that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going. To learn strength in contentment because I'm convinced that he can supply all my needs. God gives us strength to overcome anything, and that's what he says in verse 13. I can do anything through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. When people disappoint you, when circumstances are out of your control, like birthdays, right, Sandy? And because we're going to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those that weep, we're just not going to say any more about Sandy's birthday tomorrow. <laughs> we'll let you figure it out. When you struggle to find your joy, when you feel like you're facing life alone, when it feels like you're losing your mind from stress and you're all prayed out and there's no answer in sight, God is the source of our strength. When Jesus was tempted in the, in the desert after 40 days of fasting, what happened? 
the angels were sent to minister to him. Fast forward three-ish years, and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying to God, and, he's, and he, he just is almost out of words. He doesn't know what else to say because he knows what's coming next, and he knows that he really doesn't want to go through this. If there's any other way to do that, in the midst of that, as he finishes his prayer, guess what Scripture says? That God sent angels to minister to him. God gives us strength that we don't have on our own and allows others to minister to us. Hmm. That requires humility, and God seems to be very easy and quick to answer that prayer. God give us more humility, right? And yet that's what he says in verse 18. He says, he's describing his own life and his own physical needs. And he says, at the moment I have everything I need, I'm generously supplied with the gifts that you sent me. Basically, they, they sent Paul a care package. He says, I've got everything I need. You know how hard it is to admit that you need help, right? I mean, Paul, he's an entrepreneur. He's a tent maker. He's used to doing and providing for himself no matter what. He didn't take lightly the opportunity for others to help him. And yet, in spite of the embarrassment of admitting, I need help, God gave him the strength to find the humility to say, I can't do this on my own. Now, we're all familiar, right, with it's more blessed to give than to receive. Sometimes you need to let somebody have the more blessed of giving and serving and let them give and serve to you. Well, not just so you can be a leech, but until you are in a place where you can give and serve them. I mean, haven't you heard, when I'm weak, then I, that's when I'm strong? It speaks of being authentic and honest about who you are and where you are and what your needs are. That transparency that we need strength to be humble enough to say the truth. God, give me the strength to encourage others. In verse 19 of Philippians 4, he says, This same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches given to us in Christ. How does he know that? How does he know God's going to give them everything they need? How does he know God's going to give him everything he needs? It's because he's lived it. He's seen it. The world is still in God's hands. It wasn't in Rome's hands. It wasn't in Jerusalem's hands. It wasn't in the Pharisees' hands. It wasn't in those who, were, who saw Paul as a threat. It wasn't in the hands of the church that was too weak to do anything about it. It was in God's hands. If you've always had enough, and you've never needed God to show up, you'll never have the confidence that Paul had that he will. That's why it's called walking by faith, not by sight. Now, it's not called walking by stupid, not by sight. It's not called walking by greed, 
and not by sight. It's called walking by faith because you can't see how it's going to turn out. There are any number of people in this room right now that could step to the microphone and tell you stories from their life about chapters in their life that were just awful and they didn't know how ends were going to meet. Until at the very last moment God showed up and everything was different. How can you escape the quicksand of negativity when it looks like God just dropped the world? Well, let me give you one illustration real quick from David. It won't take long, but here it is. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 30, okay? David and his troops were out in battle. They'd won the day, but they came home to discover that while they were out over here fighting a battle, the enemy had flanked them, come in from behind, and they had destroyed their town, captured their women and their children, and, and, and just taken everything while they were gone. And it says, quote, David and his men wept out loud until they had no strength left to weep. It doesn't say David and his little girls. It says David and his fighting men wept until there were no more tears left. And at that point, when there were no more tears left, and when their, when their cheeks were dried, and, and when their throat was hoarse from screaming to God in, in grief, what they do next? His own men turned on him. And they were ready to stone him because he let it happen. David faces an avalanche of negative circumstances, angry people, and false, unfair accusations. Their lives have been turned upside down. Their confidence in an invisible God was absolutely zero. How does David deal with that kind of stress? What does David do with that kind of anxiety? and worry about what's next. In 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, here's what it says. But David found strength in the Lord his God. When you're overwhelmed by anxiety, because your kid's roommate is exactly the opposite of who you prayed for. When you're overwhelmed with anxiety because... Okay, you fill in the blank. I'll just be quiet. It is possible to find the strength to go on, no matter what it is that you're overwhelmed by. But you're not going to find it because of your own naturally sunny disposition and positive outlook. The only way you find the strength to walk on is by trusting that God still holds the world in his hands. It doesn't say what he told, uh, what David told himself that day when everything was falling apart and everybody blamed him. But we do know what David told himself on other occasions. For example, it says in Psalm 103, verse 1 and 2, I'll praise the Lord, O my soul. With all that's within me, praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I, catch this, may I never forget the good things he has done for me. 
a few verses later in that same Psalm 103. This is what he says in verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. God, what's wrong with you? See, that's how I usually respond until I can get a grip and find true north again. God, why did you let this happen? No, he didn't blame God. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, and he's slow to anger, abounding in love. And that was David's mantra that he kept on repeating to himself. The same thing was written in Psalm 86, verse 15. And the same song was written in Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. You know, if David needed to repeat that, let's go ahead and try that here. Maybe it'll countersink in a little deeper for us in our hearts. Would you read this with me and remind yourself of what David needed to know when his world turned sideways? What is it you know about God? The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. I'm going to need that more often, so I'll need you to remember it so you can remind me. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. All through his life, no matter what happened to him, or no matter what he did to himself, or no matter what he did to others, that was his anchor. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in love. The interesting thing is that that's exactly what God said about himself in Exodus 34. David, I'm going to ask you in your praise team, join me on stage, and we'll wrap up here with this. So what's the point? When things got bad... David knew what to dwell on. He didn't dwell on everything that went wrong. He didn't dwell on how innocent he was. He didn't dwell on, what's the matter with you, you knuckleheads? Can't you see I'm grieving too? He didn't dwell on the negative filters of life. What he did was he dwelled on this. The Lord's compassionate and gracious slow to anger, abounding in love. And David found strength in the Lord his God. His life was shaped by his thoughts. You see, when you have faith that the world is still in his hands, that's when you find that God gives you the strength you need to live in the world that's still in his hands. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at barrysvillechristian.org.